This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. It is officially 2017, which means we are looking ahead to the upcoming baseball season, and we're going to talk about the Oakland Athletics with our friend Ken Korak, who is pinch hitting for Jane Lee this week, and he is the uh, team's lead radio announcer for many, many years. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I want to talk about some of the, the moves that the A's have made. So they uh, signed Rajay Davis to a one-year contract. I, I really liked this move. Um, it's kind of like a, a, a no risk on, on both sides. But Davis obviously is comfortable with the organization. What was your reaction when you heard that the team had signed him? Well, I was really pleased for a lot of reasons, Allison, and, and I think primarily because it was a real need for the club. And it was something they stated early in the offseason that going out and getting a center fielder was a big priority for them. And Rajay, of course, noteworthy because of what he did at the end of the Game 7 of the World Series, one of the most historic World Series home runs. But uh, from the time that he was with the A's earlier, He's a real pro. Not only is he a talented player, and I think there's there's really been no drop-off in his production, even though he's 36 years of age, but he's also a guy who can help in the clubhouse. So um, I was pleased they brought him back. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about the just the presence inside the clubhouse. Um, I mean, it's been documented. The A's have had some, some issues over the last couple of years, some guys that have come in and out. Of course, the fact that they've really struggled in the in the win column, it, it, it's you know it's never a good thing. It can always sort of affect the morale. But to have a guy like him, I mean, that can go really a long way. I look at Stephen Vogt as just a, a guy that's really good in that clubhouse. It's just looking at it from the outside. But in this situation, they look to be kind of in a transitional period. You really need those guys to sort of keep things steady from a day-to-day basis. And Davis might be able to sort of help out in that way. I really do. I think it's important, and no matter how great your manager is, and I think Bob Melvin is as good as there is in the game, the leadership really has to come from the veterans in your clubhouse. And especially you mentioned, Allison, the kind of transitional period that the A's are in. If you're going to have young players and expose them to the big leagues, then you need veterans who can set the tone. I know it almost sounds like a cliche to say that, but it really is true. And the A's, the future of this this club uh, right now will revolve around the young position players who are coming up through the minor leagues right now. And so you, you really have to have veterans who can set that kind of a tone in the clubhouse. Yeah, and speaking of another veteran who um, who can really be a good, big contributor when he's healthy is Jed Lowry, who is entering the final year of his contract. And, of course, the question with him is always can he stay healthy. And he is so impactful and so talented when he is able to stay on that field. But at this point, you just have to sort of pencil him in, uh, pencil him in really into the lineup and not red ink because um, he just has such a, it seems like freak injuries, but he just seems to struggle so much to put in a full season. It's true. And it's not like he's, he's dealing with like a torn ACL every year or hamstring problems or things like that. Like you said, it's something that invariably every year seems to come out of the blue, but 
Um, he can really impact the game with his bat. Now, I think second base is an area where the A's just have to wait and see how things evolve, and I guess it's still possible they might try to add somebody um, to compete for that spot during spring training. Um, I, I don't think the A's are done, by the way, in terms of making moves in a general sense. I think you might still see two or three moves. Joey Wendell did a nice job when he came up during the second half of the season. So I think the whole deal revolving around second base would be let's just wait and see. So when you say that they, they could make more moves, what are some of the, the question marks that still sort of linger? And, of course, obviously the team has a lot of improvement to, to be made. But um, what are some of the things that you think that they need to do between now and spring training to sort of solidify things? Well, there's been a lot of talk in David Forrest even yesterday because there are rumors, and I'll preface by saying there's simply rumors uh, surrounding Mark Trumbo, for example, who, as you know, Allison's a free agent. But the A's have been very open about um, still perhaps coveting a right-handed bat, and the big priority for them was the outfield. So I, I don't know. I, I don't have a crystal ball, but my guess is they're not done at least pursuing. Now, I don't know if, if anything will come to fruition, but I don't think they're done at least pursuing one more outfield bat. Yeah, that would be interesting. And, yeah, there are there are several um, names still out there. Um, kind of surprising this time of year. You think that guys are sort of getting settled in, but there are some interesting deals still to be made. Okay, so I want to uh, – you did a ton of interviews. When, when Bill King won the uh, Ford Frick Award uh, during the, from the Hall of Fame voting, and I think you did more interviews than anybody, and which was wonderful because I know he was a dear friend and you wrote a book about him as a labor of love, as you called it. And um, and so he will posthumously be honored by the Hall of Fame this summer. You just tell me like what it meant to you. I know it was a very emotional thing for you um, to see this finally happen for Bill. Well, thanks for asking. I know you've written a lot about broadcasters too over the years, Allison. It just right. the whole the whole experience was just so incredibly heartwarming. And I go back to I guess October of 2005, which was when Bill passed away. And as you can imagine, the calls and emails and messages came in, and I was asked to do a lot of uh, media things. The requests came kind of pouring in in the aftermath of Bill passing away. And it was similar from that standpoint, the outpouring of love for Bill, um, and, and I think perhaps a, a similar number of, of calls and messages came in, except this time it was just full-on jubilation. Instead of sadness, it was jubilation and, and A's fans, I think, People in general around the game were just thrilled, and I, I, we all owe a great debt to the committee for doing their due diligence. Um, these selections are very difficult. Um, there were there were ten outstanding finalists, and for a lot of reasons, I thought that Bill was a hugely deserving candidate. And I think one thing uh, I heard from a lot of broadcasters in the minor leagues who were pleased that Bill got the award. And as, as you know, there'll be a, a greater examination of Bill's work and his career leading up to the induction on July 29th in Cooperstown. And, and Bill has had, even posthumously, even now that he's gone, has had a, a great influence on, on young broadcasters. And one of the subtitles to my book was Lessons from Bill King. So beside the fact that A's fans and his colleagues and uh, so many of his friends and family are thrilled, I think a lot of young announcers certainly can learn from the lessons that uh, Bill taught us over the years. And that is such an important thing. I know that in my line of work and in everybody's line of work in baseball, but sort of a responsibility for us to always help the younger generation that's coming up and wants to do uh, what we're doing. And it's so important for announcers to do that. It sounds like, I mean, if all these minor league announcers were, um, you know, affected by this, and it sounds like he was a, a willing uh, helper 
um, during his time as a broadcaster to, to give advice, and, and that's, that's so important. He was, and then just listening to him and the way that he went about his business and realizing the passion that he brought to every broadcast and his dedication. And Bill, the way he immersed himself in his homework and his preparation, kind of legendary, at least around the Bay Area, and I think that did rub off on a lot of people. And um, I'm actually writing a new chapter to the book in the hope that, that maybe the book might be re-released with uh, the Hall of Fame actually has written the final chapter, but um, I included a letter that Bill wrote many, many years ago to Rich Waltz, who, as you know, Allison, is the TV voice of the Marlins when Rich was um, going to college at UC Davis, and Rich was looking for some broadcasting advice. And Bill, um, on A Stationery, with his typewriter back then, wrote this incredibly long letter to Rich, delineating his own philosophy in terms of play-by-play for not just baseball, but basketball and football. And it's almost like reading it, it's almost like taking a class from a great professor in broadcasting. That's, that's Bill, and he, he just he didn't bring a lot of ego to the table, virtually none. He didn't campaign for the Frick Award, but um, as you said and as, as, I, as we all believe, um, his influence was widespread. Oh, that's so nice. Um, it's just so nice to hear good things about people who have, have been giants in the industry. Um, and I, I have one more Hall of Fame question. I want to I want to run this by you because I was thinking about this uh, at the winter meetings. The Baseball Writers Association they have a they have their own meeting every year. And one thing that they voted on was that they're going to make everybody is going to have their ballots uh, revealed publicly starting next year for the Hall of Fame voting. And it's become um, you know it, it's just it, with social media and the fact that you can you know kind of contact people directly. It's gotten kind of ugly. Um, and there's a lot of angry fans out there when you don't vote for their guy. And now everybody, you, you can still be anonymous um, and be a voter, but that's ending next year. And so I have to wonder, because last year with Ken Griffey Jr., he got all but three votes, and everyone wants to know who those three guys were. Um, and I have to wonder if we're going to see our first unanimous vote coming up. And here are the candidates, in my opinion. I was looking at the Hall of Fame website. So Chipper Jones in 2018 uh, Mariana Rivera in 2019, and Derek Jeter in 2020. So that's when they're going to be eligible for the first time. Do you think that we could see our first unanimous vote um, now that everybody has to out themselves uh, for who they voted for? So your theory is, and I think it's a good one, that because all of the voters will have to reveal their votes, yes, that that will increase the odds of someone becoming unanimous, which hasn't happened before, it's which never is ridiculous. Happened. And I guess the I guess the, the thinking is, well, if Joe DiMaggio wasn't unanimous, then how can any of these other people be? Uh, all that, I think, is absurd. Um, yeah, I would think, well, certainly of those three, I mean, they're all, they're all no-brainers. Um, the A's had a lot of experience with Mr. Rivera and Mr. Cheater. Right. And I would think that if anybody was going to be unanimous, how could you keep those two guys from being um, unanimous selection. So I don't know if that'll happen, but um, certainly from firsthand experience in watching those guys play and do such so much damage against the A's in the postseason, I would think they would have a great shot. Yeah, I think that it's going to be Jeter in 2020. I think that uh, somebody will be able to justify not voting for Rivera because he was just quote unquote a reliever. Um, and you know, you could make arguments against Chipper for I don't know some of these <laughs> bitter guys, but. Um, but well, I think that right. the public shaming, the public shaming element, I just think that, you know, people might be moved to actually vote the first time for people that actually are deserving to be in the Hall of Fame. 
Yeah, and of all the uh, in the 22 years I've broadcast the years, if there's one play that I called that A's fans wish I hadn't called, <laughs> yes. would have been the the flip in 2001, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear about that. But yeah, I would I would hope that at some point we could get a unanimous uh, choice. And I, I I'm in agreement with you. I think if that's going to happen, Jeter would be that guy. Yeah, uh, yes, and I didn't mean to bring up any uh, bad memory phrase, but <laughs> I find that Hey, listen, it happened. It was a historic play. It's one of those. Yeah, um, and it's been a long, it's been long enough that I think we could talk about it without feeling too much pain. But yeah, absolutely, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I think it'll be. It was, know, it'll it was the third. It was the third game. The A's had still had a two to one series lead in the game four. That's true. They just needed so they were up two to nothing. They just needed one more win, and they lost three in a row. Right. Yeah, they were up two to nothing, and it was the thing about the Jeter flip game. I don't want to go on and on. It was, it was one of the most riveting games that any of us has ever been a part of. It was a beautiful night, a huge crowd. Mike Messina against Barry Zito. The only run came on a home run by Jorge Posada. Uh, then the Jeter flip came in the seventh inning, and then you mentioned Rivera in the Hall of Fame. That's when Joe Torre brought Rivera in to finish off the game. He pitched the last two innings. But still going into the next game, the A's had a 2-1 to lead, and El Duque shut the A's down at the Coliseum. Then the A's lost the fifth game in New York. Wow. Yeah, that was so long ago, but um, still so vivid yeah. of a memory. So, okay, yep. well, we won't, uh, we won't cry in our coffee too much about that. But, Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was fun. I appreciate it. We'll try to catch up with you uh, again this upcoming season. I enjoyed it, Allison. Thanks for having me. Okay, thank you. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go every night on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.